Well, who's ready for God's Word this morning? I'm so excited to be able to share with you. Uh, 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 We're uh, starting a brand new series called Drawing Near. And um, today is going to be a foundational message. We're going to lay a foundation uh, for for what we're literally going to be encountering all summer long. And uh, uh, God just began to put it into my heart that this summer was to be a summer of growth. Now, uh, if you guys know what summertime is usually like, it's... It's usually uh, people kind of get out of their normal routines and schedules. They're going on vacation, they're relaxing, they're doing this or that. Uh, their teenagers are sleeping, uh, you know, a lot more. They forget, you know, that there are two 11 o'clocks in, in a day, you know, because they sleep right through one of them. You know, there's only one 11, you know. And, and, and so... Uh, People get out of their routines, and, and, and what I've noticed is that uh, in, in the summertime, a lot of people tend to do the same thing in their spiritual walks, and their spiritual routines get uh, off kilter. And uh, let, me, let me say it another way, uh, the church tends, in, in North America tends to put God on vacation in the summer. And uh, uh, how many of you know that's a mistake? That is a mistake to ever put God on a vacation. You don't want to ever do that. You want him to be near you, walking with you, fully aware that he is with you, and fully engaged in what he has for you. And that's why the Lord told me, he says, this summer is going to be a summer of growth. And he began to talk to me about this series called Drawing Near. Now, if you were at our first Wednesday service, first of all, I would like to apologize to everyone who was not at our first Wednesday service. It was incredible. God's presence was incredible in this place. So good. And, um, and so uh, if you were there, uh, I'm going to uh, take us back to two passages that are going to help guide us literally through the summer. Psalm chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're first going to Psalm 1. And then we're going to look at Revelation 22. Got lots of other scriptures today that are really going to help us uh, as we, as a church, and we as individuals choose to draw near to God in this time. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, says this. It says, blessed is the man, I guess I could stop there just for a second, blessed, that means fortunate, favored, to be envied. Um, Look at your neighbor and just tell them uh, you want to be blessed. Okay, Look, look, look back at them and say, you're already blessed because you're sitting next to me. All right, all right, all right. I know you were thinking it, I just said it out loud. You want to be blessed. All of us want to be blessed. We want to, we want to be fortunate. We want to be, in, uh, to be envied. We, we, we want to be favored by God. And, and Psalm 1 talks to us about how we can unlock that. And it says this, um, 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law. Let me, let me add some words to this so you understand this. His delight is in the instruction of the Lord. That's what this word Torah means. It's the instruction of the Lord. It is the direction. Let me add this idea. It is the right now direction of the Lord. Sometimes when we hear the word law, we immediately check out because we've been taught some different things about, about what the law could not do for us. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, so we, we hear that, we're like, how do you delight in something that we're ultimately, in this new covenant, supposed to reject? Well, it, because it's not just a series of words and a bunch of rules, it is the express direction and the right now words from God that we're supposed to delight in. Because he's our father. And then it says this, and on his law, his direction... His words to us, they meditate day and night, and then it describes what this blessed person will be like. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper." So what does this blessed person look like? Uh, they look like a tree. Husbands, by the way, it's not a, not a good idea to just look at your wife and say, hey, honey, you look like a tree, okay? <laughs> it's not a good idea. That's not how we build relationships because that will be totally misunderstood. What this is not describing of the, the, the beauty and the splendor of the tree is actually talking about the positioning of the tree. It says, you will be like a tree planted planted by the rivers of living water. This person who is prosperous, who is blessed, is a planted person. This is a person that is nourished in every atmosphere. Regardless of what it looks like on the outside, they are flourishing on the inside. Why? Because of where they are planted. Uh, another thing that we see from Psalm 1 is that they bear on time fruit they bear on time fruit this person who is blessed it says they bear fruit in their season what does that mean it's right on time and we we need more people who are favored and blessed by God to actually do some things for the kingdom in their time some of us think you know my time has passed and that's a horrible place to be but you know, the, an equally ineffective place to be is, my time is coming. Because it's like, well, one day it'll show up, but in this, you know, in this season, I guess I'm not doing anything. Can I just give you the grand revelation? The only time you have is right now. And God wants you bearing fruit right now. Well, how do we get there? That's the real question that we're going to begin to answer this summer. I love this. It describes this blessed person uh, as a tree whose leaves do not wither. Remember, this is not talking about a natural tree. It's talking about a man. And this word wither literally in the Hebrew means disgraced. It's literally what it means. It means this person will not be disgraced or dishonored. 
They are not going to be, why will they not be dishonored? Because they are listening to the instruction of the Lord, they're thinking about what he's saying, they're thinking about his direction, and they're blessed. Matter of fact, what you could say is that grace rests upon whatever they do. They won't be disgraced, they will be fully graced by God. And then here's another description. They prosper. Man, that's a good word. But, you know, listen, I I understand that sometimes we need definition because when I say prosper, we just kind of think about the checkbook. That's That's so far beneath the the full meaning of this word this word it, this word means this it means to move forward it means i when they prosper they move forward and they break out well break out of what the same old cycle of unfruitfulness the same old cycle of never seeming to be able to move forward and and move into the things that god has called us to do well what do they do this blessed person breaks out of the cycle how many of you would love to break out of the holding pattern that you've been in and break into something new that god has for you listen this is what god's calling us to believe for as a church that all of us together are going to move forward, break out of the old cycles, and into new fruitfulness in God. That's what he's calling us to. And there is a key to unlocking this truth. It's the river. It's the river. In Psalm 1, it simply says this, they will be like a tree planted next to the rivers of water. What is this river being described here? It is the river of God's presence. It is the river of God's presence. Notice where the river flows in heaven. In Revelation chapter 22, if you want to turn there, certainly uh, turn there. You can follow along on the screen. Revelation 22 We find out where the river of God is actually flowing. By the way, the river is described in many places in the Bible. If you want to jot down some additional places where you can read about the river, Psalm 46, I believe it's verse 4, says there is a river that makes glad the city of God. That's talking about this river we're about to read about. There is also Ezekiel's river, which is seen coming out of the temple in Ezekiel chapter 47. And now we're going to read about a river in that was seen by John the Apostle in a vision as he is summing up the book of Revelation. Which, by the way, in the same chapter says, do not seal up this book. It says, but release it. That means that there's revelation right here in Revelation 22 that we are to possess and that we were to walk in. Now look at this. Here's this river. In the NIV, it says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2, notice these words, Down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of of the nations. Notice where the river's flowing. It's not inside of its banks. It's on the streets in heaven. 
So every place that God has paved for his people to walk is filled with a river. It's the river that's flowing from his throne. This is incredible. This changes the way that we think. Well, what's that mean? Uh, why, why be so excited about a river that's flowing on a street? Here's why. Every tree along that river is bearing fruit. Starting to sound familiar? You're not the tree of life, but when you get touched by the creator of life and by his presence, you start to resemble the tree of life. The river makes all the difference. Now, here's the interesting thing about this river. Normal rivers flow in one direction. They flow down. This river is flowing from the throne down the street in heaven. Okay, we certainly see that. Psalm 24 says something interesting, though. It says, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will, who will go up into the presence? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. That's who. That, those are the ones who will go up into this temple that was seen, by the way, by, in, his, in his, uh, Ezekiel chapter 47. These are the ones who will go up to the throne. Here's the revelation of this whole thing. The river flows both ways. It flows both ways. There are avenues in heaven right now that are drawing the people of God to God. And there is that same river that sends his people out to fruitfulness. The river of God is what we need. But how do we access the river? How do we get in this river which will cause us to draw near to God and then be sent out in fruitfulness? How do we do it? Well, it's mentioned uh, in Psalm chapter 1, this word called meditation. Meditation, in my opinion, describes one of the avenues that God has paved uh, to intimate intimacy with him and fruitfulness in the kingdom. Well, meditation um, is, is there in Psalm 1. And, and to be honest with you, in the Christian church, it's almost completely forgotten. Matter of fact, our, 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 about our only um, encounter with meditation uh, within the last 20 years was on Lion King. You know, this silly little monkey is uh, directing this young lion king, and he's meditating on a rock. And he says, oh, I knew Mufasa. And he goes and finds him, and he says, he says you knew my father. And he's like, oh, correction, I know your father, you know, <laughs> right? And so, uh, you know, and we're like, oh, that's meditation. You know, that's all we got, you know. Or you've been a part of the church, and you heard, oh, meditation, uh, that's Eastern mysticism, and we're supposed to utterly reject that. But yet in Psalm 1, we find meditation happening. Can I just tell you that meditation is a completely biblical practice? And, and while we will step into this in one of these weeks, and we're going to talk about this uh, more specifically, here's what it's not. Biblical meditation is not the emptying of your mind. 
It is actually the filling of one's mind with God's thoughts and meditating on it until you marry them to yours. That's good. Eastern meditation says empty the mind and whatever comes in is okay. Don't do that. Close the door. Stop. No. We open the door to God's word and he fills us and this is what happens. Psalm 1 happens. So that means this. The disciplines can lead us into the blessing of God. But, you know, truth be told, what, what's going on in most churches and, and maybe sometimes here, uh, we, we have uh, flex tape Christianity is really what we want, right? You guys know flex tape, as seen on TV, that one item which evidently is going to fix everything that's ever been wrong on the planet, right? It's everything. I saw, saw it the other day. Your pool is leaking. Now it's waterproof. Bang, your pool's not leaking anymore. This guy is so uh, uh, amazing. He cuts a boat in half, allegedly. Puts it back together with flex tape. and I just want you to notice, he's the only one in that boat. He's the only one. Because nobody wants to be in a broken boat held together by tape. Because we all know something good is not going to happen to this boat. It's going down. And, you know, and, and here's what we do. We walk, in, we walk into services week after week and we're like, Pastor, I'm broken. Flex tape me. Flex tape me. Put me back together. I'm going to be fine. I will look put together. But you're not. No one really wants to lean on that. And, and, you know, if you watch the commercials, you just think, well, that's it. That's the end of welding. We have flex tape. No more plumbers. Flex tape. And I think sometimes we think that way in the church. We're like, oh, man, we need a really anointed pastor, a really anointed prayer team. And, you know, I'm just, I just go up there. I have no part to play in this. Because, come on, just whack some anointing on me, and I'll be fixed, you know. But the truth be, be told is that if, if you wanted anybody to run with you, they'd feel like they're getting into the boat that's fixed with flex tape. They're just not real sure about it. Why? Because we haven't given ourselves to the processes that would genuinely create strength in our walk with God. By the way, I fully believe that God can do in a moment what no man can do in a lifetime. So I'm not discounting the suddenlies of God. But the suddenlies do not negate our call to the dailies. Matter of fact... Our daily drawing near to God positions us for suddenlies. Now, the classical Christian disciplines call us all to move beyond the surface living into the depths. And can I just say it this way? The greatest need in our culture is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people. It is the call for deep people. 
there is a deep call for someone to be of substance in their walk with God. We don't need smarter people or more gifting. We need people who said, I am going to live beyond the surface. I'm going to the depths with God. And these classic Christian disciplines like meditation lead us into the depths with our Lord drawing ever near to his presence. Now, these ancient practices, they position us uh, for encounters with God uh, individually and corporately. And now they kind of fall into three different categories, and we're going to talk through these. Uh, myself and Pastor Carl and uh, Pastor Dylan, o- over the summer, we're, we're going to talk through uh, these inward disciplines. First, the inward ones are more like uh, meditation and prayer and those things which will, will certainly bring uh, inward transformation. It's the things that nobody else sees while you're participating in them. Now, there are not only inward, um, uh, inward disciplines, but there are external personal disciplines like simplicity. Oh, some of you just, just like a weight lifted off of you. are like, oh, the idea of going home and throwing out a whole lot of stuff makes me feel good. You know, the, uh, of simplifying my life feels good. It's actually a Christian discipline. Almost completely forgotten. And, 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 and the idea that um, of, of service as a Christian discipline that is a paved pathway of God's presence that leads us to him and to others, we have almost forgotten that service is an agent of transformation. We've almost forgotten it. And so we're going we're gonna, to uh, uh, you know, reawaken that. Now, not only are there individual ones, there are corporate ones. There are corporate disciplines. The corporate discipline of worship there is a corporate dip discipline of us together being guided by the Holy Spirit. There is a corporate discipline of celebrating. You don't think God likes to celebrate? He planned annual parties with his people and did them over and over and over and over again, and they were called feasts. God loves to celebrate. Now, we're, we, we, we've kind of lost some of these corporate disciplines we, 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 maybe we even think some of them aren't very spiritual at all. But I'm just going to share with you that these are the streets, the avenues that lead to the throne. And it is in these avenues where you and I experience the presence of God. And these are just the beginning of the paved pathways that are full of God's presence that lead to fruitfulness. Well, let, let's ask some real questions. Why, why don't we take these roads? When we mention the word discipline, some of you don't even like it. You, you think of, of leather belts or switches. That's what you think of, you know, because you were, you were a busy child, you know. So uh, you, you, when, I, when I say dis- discipline, you just, your mind goes, you, you need to think more like art, as a discipline. It is something that is practiced over and over so that a skill is harnessed and a beauty is displayed. That is a discipline. Now, you would also call for the men in the room, uh, MMA is a discipline. 
the utter destruction of your opponent is in some way beautiful, okay? But it is a discipline that is practiced. And, and in our pursuit of God's presence, we need to understand that these, these disciplines are available to us. We don't take these roads often because uh, first, they, we, we say things like this. Um, well, these ideas, they're only for the hyper-spiritual. Just the pastors, you know, the Mother Teresas, the weirdos. Let's be honest. We think, you know, we, we hear these things. We, you may even say the amen in the services when you hear about the different disciplines. You might even say amen in that sermon about fasting. But then you wake up on day one and you've got no amen, you've only got an oh me. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, I, I'm just saying, we think, oh man, this is, this is for the hyper-spiritual, this is for the, the vocational pastor. No, no, it's not. Um, let, let me put it to you this way. The, the disciplines or the avenues that are full of God's presence are for everyone. And I, I, I want to say it two ways. They are not hard. And yet, on the other hand, they sort of are. On one hand, they're, they're not hard to enter into, but to continue to practice them and be seasoned in them and allow them to work the process that God wants uh, and not derail the process, that is what some people describe as hard. So we think they're for the hyper-spiritual, or uh, how about this, we think they're dull, we think the idea of prayer, of fasting, of, of celebration, of silence, of, sil uh, of simplicity. You know, uh, honestly, you know, I say words like prayer, and some of you, immediately, you fall asleep. <laughs> it's like, oh, here he goes about prayer again. You know, um, and, and, and let's just, I, I want you to understand that all of these disciplines are associated with one atmosphere joy. It's joy. It's joy that comes when we walk in these avenues filled with God's presence because uh, uh, Psalm 16 says it, it is that in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures evermore. Joy marks these, this life that's filled with Christian disciplines and we should expect that and actually come against that lie that says, hey, this is going to be dull and boring. And the idea of doing what Christ has told us to do is going to lead to a dull and boring life. Uh, can I just say, if your Christianity is dull and boring, you are doing it wrong. You are doing it wrong. I mean, just get into the place of prayer. Get into the place of fellowship with God. It's amazing. You just never know what's coming. You're just out at lunch. Plot twist. God uses you. You're like... Man, that was incredible. I just wanted some chili and God changed that person's life. It's incredible. Christianity's not boring. You are, bless you. <laughs> bless you. 
You don't have to be, though. Come on. Come on over here. Uh, you know what? And, and, and this next one is very real. Uh, we actually question our ability uh, to reach to the other side. Uh, we call ourselves, I'm a bit of a realist. Or, or maybe you're the kind of person that leaves the service. You're like, that was good. But let's get back out to the real world. Hold on. Just because you cannot see it does not make the world that you are reaching for any less real than the one that you can see in this visual spectrum. There is a very real world that God dwells in called eternity. And he actually invites us to a life to experientially know him and to walk in things which are not seen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says it this way. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's saying, listen, um, I know that you think that this whole world around you is real. But you need to understand that there's an invitation from God to come boldly before this throne that dwells in eternity. And you are empowered by God to reach beyond this realm and to see things other people cannot see and to place faith in things other people cannot see. And God will move. It's not about your effort. It's simply about you positioning yourself. Uh, the, and the final one that I added kind of last minute is, is we just don't know how to walk in the Christian disciplines, how to walk in these avenues to draw near to God. We don't know how. The Bible, when it was written, it describes the disciplines with almost zero how-tos. Why is that? Because it was the common knowledge of the day. So if you said to any Jew, we have a fast coming, they knew exactly what to do going into the fast. They knew exactly how to come off of the fast so that they continued to, to, to grow, to continue to work, continue to flourish. They knew how to do that, but we didn't, we, they, it was so common. So nowadays, we don't know how to do that. We're like, I don't know how to do that. The only thing we've ever heard is I need three meals a day. And some of us didn't believe that, so we added a fourth. So we don't know how to walk in the, in the spiritual disciplines. Can I just tell you that that's what we're going to learn how to do this summer. We're going to learn how to draw near to God. You say, well, pastor, what's, what's the deal? Are you just going to teach us about these things? What's the purpose behind uh, all of this? Well, the purpose is a little different than the byproduct. I first want to describe the greatest byproduct of what you're going to experience this summer. Write this down. Get this deep in your heart. Victory over sin. You are going, if you say yes to taking this journey of drawing near to God through these classic disciplines, you are going to experience victory over sin. 
Pop quiz uh, for, for those in the room. Uh, what is the way that most of you have dealt with sin and dealt with these, these hang-ups, the anger issues, the malice in your heart, the envy, the jealousy at times? How have you dealt with that? Most of the time the answer is this. I've dealt with it with willpower and determination. And it went something like this. Oh, man, I see that in me, and I can't, oh, I'm not going to do it. 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 I'm not going to do that anymore. Jesus, help me not do that anymore. And exactly 20 minutes later, you're doing the exact same thing again. And then, just to make yourself feel better, you go and read Romans chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I know I'm not supposed to do, those are the things that I'm doing. Whoa, this sinful man that I am. Okay, and then we're just, we just stay in Romans 7. We're like, well, at least I got good company. <laughs> and so we're in this endless cycle. We never move on to Romans chapter 8 which happens to be connected to seven, by the way, should keep reading. It's saying that those who then live in the Spirit will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's like Paul figured it out by the Holy Spirit. And so um, what, we, what we find here is that willpower and determination are useless for stopping deeply ingrained sin habits. Let me put it simply. Frontal attacks on sin in your life do not work. They don't work. You're like, what am I supposed to do then? Accept the invitation. You see, the will, when, you're, when you, um, uh, Colossians in the King James Version in chapter 3, it says, that there was this term that comes up, it says will worship. You know you can actually worship your will to where you think that you can overcome sin based upon your will and you place more trust in your will than you do in God? You know what that's called? Idolatry. You can't worship your will. We worship God. Now, the, wor the will, let me, let me explain it to you this way. The will, your willpower and determination, have the same deficiencies that the law of the Old Testament has. Meaning that the law of the Old Testament could help us deal with the externals. That means don't touch this, don't taste that. And, and you may even get a measure of victory like Peter you know, he has this vision, and there are all these unclean foods that come down, and he says, I have never eaten any of those things. I have never eaten something like that unclean, and then God rebukes him for calling something unclean that God makes clean, leading to a revelation that, that God wanted to touch Gentiles. And so you may have a measure of victory because of this external motivation like the law, your willpower, you just determined, you just got the grit, you've got, got it down. And, 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 but here's what the problem. It doesn't address inner transformation. It doesn't address our motivation. We need to be changed from the inside out. You see, 
willpower has the same deficiency as the law in that it can only deal with externals and it's incapable of bringing about inner transformation. I heard this story about a new forester and uh, he had applied for the job and he was going to begin to fell trees and he got it. He was a young guy and he goes out there with his axe on the very first day on Monday and he is cutting down trees like crazy. He is just, he's chopping them all down. He chops down more than everyone else. And he says, listen, I'm just going to keep working hard and, and that's it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the most productive person. So he comes back on Tuesday and he's chopping down trees, working as hard as he can. Comes back Wednesday, he's chopping down trees, working as hard as he can. Same on Thursday. And at the end of Friday, Friday night, his boss approaches him and says, son, um, I need to let, I, I just want to let you know, uh, I'm going to let you go. And he says, why? I chopped down more trees than anybody else on Monday. He goes, yeah, but then Tuesday, you were kind of equal to the guys, and Wednesday, I noticed you started to fall behind, and Thursday, very much behind, and Friday, there was no way that you were keeping up. He goes, but no, 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 I, I was giving it all my will and determination. He says, yeah, but a forester can't forget to sharpen their axe. And here's what I believe. Many Christians rely on their willpower, and they think, as long as I'm very determined, I'll be effective. That is actually not the case. You will be effective when you take the time to get into the river of his presence and touch the only thing that can bring transformation in the human soul, and that's God himself. God brings transformation to the human heart. He has provided a way for us to access this liberty and the needed work within us is God's work, not ours. And he's given us the disciplines of a spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. And the disciplines, these spiritual disciplines that we're going to be talking about all summer, allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. You need to understand that um, that when you're, you're, you're trying to break out of a, a, of a sin cycle, you, you become very aware of the sins that you're dealing with. And I, I, I call these people navel gazers, okay? You're just gazing at your own navel. You're just like, I got all these problems and some lint. I'm like, I got this thing going on inside of me and I can't. Oh, I'm going to try harder and try harder, and I'm going to work on me all along, never lifting up our eyes to see that the harvest is all around us. Why? Because we're living sin conscience. I was on the, on the Zambezi Gorge in, in Zambia one year, sitting with missionaries, and they, this is what they said. They said, we find that missionaries who are sin conscience have very little effect for the kingdom, but every missionary who lives God conscious changes the world. And can I just say, Calvary, I want God to completely obliterate sin in our life. It's a cancer. It can only produce death, but the way that we allow God to do it is to position ourselves before him in spiritual disciplines that he offers to us that are paved roads full of his presence that lead us to a throne and send us back out to fruitfulness. That is how we're changed. See Galatians 6, 8. 
begins to make sense when we understand this. It says, for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. How do you sow to the Spirit? It's saying yes to God's invitation to prayer personally, to service externally, to worship and celebration corporately. I know that there are people around, and maybe you're one of these people that says, yeah, you know, I've told people I don't really have to go to church to be a Christian. And I, I agree, I think. This is what I usually say. I think maybe you can be a Christian without, you know, being attached to a church. You just can't be a biblical one. Because what is described between those pages show an interaction where we need one another. Where there is a revelation of Jesus in you that is waiting to be seen by everyone that you're called to be connected to. We're moving more and more away from an agrarian society, but the analogy of the farmer is perfect thought when you come to think about you growing in God. You know, a farmer actually can't grow anything. All a farmer is called to do is manage the atmosphere. The farmer comes and tills the soil. He then takes the seed and places it there and, and covers it back up and he waters the seed and he, he makes sure that everything is proper so that it promotes growth. But when the seed is in the ground, what does the farmer do? But wait. And can I just say, I believe that this summer as we walk together to embrace these Christian disciplines in a new way. This is God's way of getting us as a seed for awakening and revival for this region into the ground. And when we're placed into the atmosphere of God's presence and he begins to transform us and we break out of the sin cycles and we step into new arenas of victory, we're like... Uh, God, this growth and this fruitfulness, it's amazing. How did this happen? Here's how it happened. I got to the place where the only agent of change abides. It's in his presence. It's God's presence. It's before his throne. And there are many ways to access that presence. Let me make sure that everybody understands this. The grace of God the saving grace of God is unearned and unearnable. But if we ever expect to grow in grace, we must pay the price of consciously choosing a course of action which involves both individual and group life. And spiritual growth and fruitfulness is the purpose of these disciplines. Let me just take you back just a few weeks ago at prayer. I remember the Lord leading me uh, to this passage in Matthew chapter 9, and we'll finish with this. And it says this, 
Verse 35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, this, there, there's a dichotomy happening in this scripture of two things. One is a great measure of success. Jesus is preaching. He is healing. He is seeing increase. The crowds are growing. And in the middle of a great season of what many would perceive as success, Jesus looks around and his heart breaks because he sees people in their condition. Sheep with no shepherd. They're just kind of going wherever life drives them. And then he looks at his disciples and says, pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers, and I add these words, like me, into this harvest field. He's saying there needs to be more like me so that we can answer God's call to bring in the harvest. And, and, and can I say the whole reason why we would endeavor to draw near to God is to become more like him and to dare to lift up our eyes with compassion on the people who are around us and see them, not for the successes they may have in the natural, but the insufficiencies that they possess in the spirit when they are absent of a relationship with God. And it's like, okay, God, send me. Okay, God, send me. And here's what I believe. God wants us as a church to be the seed that's planted deep in his presence where his grace brings a victory over sin we never, know we, could, we never knew we could even possess. And we come out away from that throne room experience like the trees along the river bearing fruit right on time. And those fruit. It's souls. Our world is starving for people that look like Jesus. And this summer, come with us as we draw near in his presence along these, these well-paved roads that will lead us to his throne and carry us out to fruitfulness as we say God we're going to answer our calling to this community in Jesus name